0: This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. My name is Saba Najand. I'm the Vice President of Sales at WorkGenius. What I love about this industry is that we are disrupting a traditional workforce. And what that means is we're giving folks the opportunity to take uh, non-traditional routes to have work opportunities and and be able to have
1: work-life balance, And, and I really enjoy that. Hi, my name is Julian Callan. I'm the founder and CEO of Project Vert. What I love about technology and commerce is being on the other side of the table. I come from the brand world, and now I'm helping brands with what I understand and know about being a brand. Two things any
2: brand needs to be successful: the ability to grow and directly engage consumers, and a nimble workforce to grow at the pace the business does. Coming up two companies to fill those roles recorded on location at Etel East in Boston first up Rob Sanchez talks with work Genius an AI-powered marketplace for enterprises to engage freelancers quality pricing and compliance on enterprise standards
1: you are listening to fashion is your business. Covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry. Recorded on location.
2: Saba, it's so great to have you here. Thank you for having me. We're here at eTel.
0: Yes. I'd love to hear from you. What is it that WorkGenius does and what is your role with them? Sure. So WorkGenius, uh, we really simply, we, we simplify the hiring and managing of freelancers with the use of AI. What we're doing is we're giving clients access to 350,000 vetted, qualified freelancers and the on-demand technology to seamlessly integrate them into their workflow. So you're managing the
2: um, like scaling up of temporary workforces or are you thinking of this more as like discrete
0: task-based work? Uh, both. Okay. So we have organizations that are using us to scale from, let's say, one to a 1,000 in, in a matter of minutes. And then some are doing it on a project basis. What do you
2: find is um, kind of the... The biggest thing that you're tackling in that space? Is it about the streamlining of the um, documents themselves, or is it more about culture fit, or how are you thinking about the issues involved?
0: Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's getting the right talent um, in front of the right projects and executing um, immediately. Uh, you know, there are organizations that are looking at culture fit and tr- hiring the traditional route, uh, but we are talking to folks that have on demand expectations have deadlines, and we just bring them the talent, they get the job done, and then they move on to the next project.
2: And, um, for you, are you thinking of this as I'm managing a talent pool itself, or are you thinking of this more as like, I, I have these clients that I'm searching for? How, what's your focus? in? Inside?
0: Yeah. So no, we're, we're not managing the, the talent. We're actually giving our clients access to this platform and they're, they're able to get on the platform, have access to the, to the freelancers, be able to manage them, um, make the payments and just do everything that it's that a traditional hire would do if they worked in the office. Yes.
2: So you've already handled a lot of the paperwork and documentation That's and that sort of thing in so, the background.
0: Correct. Yeah. So typically you'll hire a freelancer and you have to pay them for X number of hours to do the work. And you're doing 1099s, compliance, NDAs. We do all of that heavy lifting. We do all of that management and you're just um, paying work genius, if you will. Okay. How
2: are you seeing it scale and grow right now? this is kind of an interesting point in the, in the job market. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of dissatisfaction with traditional roles. A lot of people mm-hmm. are moving more towards freelancing gig. Yeah. Um, how have you
0: kind of been seeing the industry change? Right. No, I mean, you you hit it in the nail. So I, I think it comes down to one thing. Companies are struggling to hire these days, right? It's 52 days on average to find a full-time position, to fill a full-time position. 91% of managers are struggling to find that talent. And this is Deloitte uh, research. And then, this is a good and a bad thing. Three point three point eight percent unemployment rates. That means majority of Americans are working, so there's more job postings out there than there are uh, folks that need work. So because of that, it's just it makes it really difficult to bring in talent quickly to get the job done. So
2: you're basically you're solving speed is is
0: one of the main things. Yep. Yeah. Um,
2: so. As far as the project type that you're seeing is, yes. has there been a shift in that? Is there a, a different way of thinking about the work? So back in the day I was, um, I was employed by, uh, I don't even remember a Deco. I sure. think it was, yep. sure. um, inside of a company. And although I was a temp worker, what yeah. it really meant was I was a permanent worker that they didn't have to pay insurance on. Right. Exactly. Um, have you seen that shift at all now? And is the mindset of companies changing?
0: Absolutely. So, organizations are cutting costs, and one of the ways is not paying uh, benefits. And it it sounds kind of it doesn't sound great, but what what we're doing here is we're streamlining that for them. The freelancers have different opportunities to get the benefits, and the employers are just paying for the work. And when you pay for the work, that it just streamlines and cuts so many costs. Yeah.
2: Um, so you're still seeing that, that need for the temporary worker. That's maybe a little bit longer term, or are you seeing a short, I need this person for this weekend. I need this person for
0: this task. No, we, we're, we're seeing somewhere in the middle. So we we'll, majority of our clients are working with us for six months, even 12 months, but the projects are changing uh, ongoing changes. So they come to us and say, we have, a thousand hours of work, for example, on content creation this month. So they go into the platform, get freelancers that are focusing on content. And then the following month, they may be SEO or maybe graphic design. And then they switch their focus to that. Have you had to build management and communication tools as a result of that? Yes, exactly. So we have uh, management tools on the platform that allows our clients and the freelancers to communicate freely and set the right expectations from the beginning. And that's really powerful because, number one, for the staffing and sourcing of the freelancers, um, our technology, the AI algorithms, they pick up job postings and get placed within 28 minutes. And that's – it sounds ridiculous, but that's actually just – that's how powerful it is.
2: Yeah. So you basically have a a ton of things sitting on the platform,
0: like just waiting – Correct. Yeah. Yep. So our free freelancers are applying to get to get to apply into Work Genius. They're going through assessments, skills tests, um, EQ, IQ, soft skills, hard skills, and once they get into the platform, they work with us throughout time. And these three hundred fifty thousand freelancers are essentially majority of them are doing this full time. They're getting paid well. They're getting jobs picked up. You know, picking up jobs every day, every other day. Uh, it's it's pretty powerful. Yeah. Um,
2: when you're th- that 28 minutes, which direction did that go? Is it 28 minutes from the posting or 28 minutes from the person inquiring about a job? Sorry, I just want yeah, to... Yeah, so clarify. it's t-
0: from the 20 minutes from the time the job or project has been posted, a freelancer will pick it up okay. and start on the work. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, something so like, you know, we work with organizations that tell us, okay, we have, for example, um, product descriptions that we need to roll out. We have new product lines coming out. We'll give you a one-month deadline. And we're doing these jobs in 48 hours. And to them, they're still not conceptualizing that. Um, The benefit of it is that we have multiple um, verification loops. We have QA internally to make sure, yes, speed is powerful. But at the end of the day, quality and results is what matters. Yeah. Um,
2: Interesting. So what's kind of the shift you're waiting for? Is there something that you want
0: to see in either mindset or approach um,
2: in the marketplace?
0: Yeah, I mean... So there's a couple things. Freelancing is becoming the new norm, right? It's organizations, as I mentioned, they're going away from that because they're going away from the traditional hire because they're cutting costs uh, when it comes to uh, admin benefits and things like that. Um, the other thing is that employees by 2020, 75% of, of all millennials are going to be gig or contract work. It's just, just they want that work-life balance and Companies are catching up to that now. So because of that, they're starting to think outside of the box, and we're seeing that happen. The, the where I would like to see a shift is um, the negative connotation around being a freelancer. Mm-hmm. And, and you mentioned this earlier. Like you know, back in the day, being a freelancer meant like you were lazy. You didn't want to have a full time job, so you would just pick up random jobs here and there. Now it doesn't mean that these are highly skilled people that are really smart and they know how to allocate their time better and they don't have to go to a nine to five. They can work three hours here, three hours there and still make the same amount of money. Um, how are you attracting the talent in? Yep. so we have we have a, a team. So we're based out of Hamburg, Germany. Um, so we've been around for six years and, and we have a New York presence as well um, where I'm based. And we have a team in Germany that focuses on the recruitment and um, essentially getting the name out there for freelancers to join the program and then friends talk, right? Say they're, they're well compensated. They do meaningful work and they tell their friends who are freelancers as well. Mm -hmm.
2: What about the type of work? Um, so there's this whole, I need to do something that Uh, has a purpose. Mm -hmm. I I think that we're starting to see that shift in the marketplace where it's not about how much I get paid, it's about what the meaning is. Um, What are you doing to kind of tie the meaning in? Or are you doing it? Yeah, no, I
0: mean, look, it's uh, something average tenure of an employee these days is like 2.8 years, three years. Uh, And and it doesn't come, it comes down to, them looking for meaning. It's more than just a pay. It's it's I want to I want to be t- with with an organization that I'm loyal to, and I'm doing meaningful work, and I'm growing, and that's kind of a millennial mindset. And some think of it as a bad thing. I actually think it's powerful. Powerful to to say I have a conviction to say. You know what? I've been here for two years. It is not fulfilling me. I don't care how much money I'm getting paid. I want to think about the next best thing that's going to be more well balanced. What we're doing is, look, we're not, I don't know if we're providing that, but what we're doing is giving opportunity to individuals to work on other things um, where they're not tied to a nine to five, where they're not tied to, you have to go into the office, commute and and sit at your desk. You can work on other projects. You can spend time with your family. You can do other uh, side gigs if you want as well. So we're giving them meaning by providing um, work-life balance. Mm-hmm. And um, as you're
2: thinking about that work-life balance, I'd is there anything you're doing to kind of optimize the experience of the individual in the site?
0: Yeah. So we're actually partnering with organizations to provide the benefits that they, you know, as a freelancer or contractor, they cannot get. So health insurance, gym, um, gym memberships, um, just perks that a regular employee will get. So we're working with third party organizations to provide these resources because we do believe this is the future. And More and more people, like I said, that 75% by 2025, they're going to go that way. And organizations are going to start uh, marketing towards them saying, okay, yeah, you're not working the nine to five, but we're going to give you these benefits because you're the future. So, and I I believe we're leading that charge.
2: Do you know Freelancers Union out of New York? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Is that... Like an example of the type of organization. Exactly, yeah. exactly.
0: And then we'll work with, um, you know, organizations that are providing four hundred one k's through a non traditional route, like and not Vanguard or you know. It's basically, or something. every subway ad you see on the New York subway is. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah, yeah, pretty much. pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
2: those. Those in are. Fact, those this morning <laughs> I actually think I saw a four hundred one k ad. For, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and,
0: and think about that. Like when in your tenure and career like when did you ever see a 401k ad on the subway but now that freelancer who is sitting yeah. on the train at 11 o'clock in the morning going to their side gig or going home after working two hours sees that and it, and it catches on so yeah um, yeah it's interesting yeah, yeah I, I love that
2: you saw that That's yeah, good perspective. it's a, it's a massive uh, shift mm-hmm. and basically i feel like any technology trend you can just sit on the subway and you'll know absolutely. what's happening <laughs> absolutely. absolutely yeah it's the best market research tool <laughs> i agree yeah. i agree um So from the, from the more like global perspective, are you seeing different industries shift faster towards this? Um, and in the interview right before this, I was talking with Lucidworks about, um, fear around information. Yes. So, um, sharing information and so on. So you mentioned that you have everyone sign NDAs, but obviously that doesn't do anything if you actually share, you know, correct. How, um, how are you seeing adoption curves inside of different industries
0: yeah i mean that's that's a great i i don't think it's so like look you have industries like pharma Financial, they are heavily regulated, and they, you know, they have very, very specific requirements for their employees, for contractors, and so forth. So that's going to be a tough one to uh, to focus on. But we're we're actually we're we're, uh, we're trying to get involved more with pharma just to open their eyes a little bit, if you will. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean the NDAs, um, we we transfer all IP rights to the client the moment the jobs have been um, accepted and finalized. But if you look at organizations, especially fast-paced startups, they're thinking about remote work and Non traditional routes. Like they're organizations that are 100% remote uh, because they trust their employees. They want to build that culture of, you know, you can be in Columbia at the, you know, uh, on the mountaintop um, doing your work, or you can be in New York City at, at Central Park doing your work. And We don't care as long as the output yeah. is there. As long as you're not on conference Wi Fi. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> like, please don't be on conference Wi Fi. Please don't. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, yeah. you jump on a call and then five minutes later you disconnect. And I'm like, okay, this yeah. is good. I always caveat yeah. hey guys, I'm at a conference, so yeah. bear yeah. with me. Yeah. Um, but no, that's, that's where, uh, it's going to come down to that. And, and, and I think the creative industries and, and obviously why we're here at e-tail uh, the, the folks on the e-commerce space, the marketers really understand that one, because they have crazy deadlines and expectations. You know, they're pushing content, they're pushing SEO and, and social media and, and quickly daily right, hourly, and they understand that they can't keep up with, uh, going the traditional route. So I would say the folks here at e really, really get get it. Mm -hmm. what's your ideal client our ideal client is um, not necessarily industry but someone for example in the marketing department that has the strategy has a great leadership team in place and they know that it's going to take them months to bring in employees so they use work genius as their supplement to uh, to get Get stuff done i was going to use another word but we're yeah, yeah. <laughs> so to get stuff done and uh, so those organizations that know that they can say look we have the strategy we have the projects in place and we need to scale to 100 freelancers in 48 hours we know that work genius will do that for us yeah what types of freelancers are you um seeing yeah so As I mentioned, of the 350,000, you know, we work on projects and and scopes, everything across the board from data mining to content creation and SEO. Where I would say where our our sweet spot is, excuse me, is uh, SEO, content creation, copywriting, uh, graphic design. So more stuff on the creative side Mm -hmm. um, is probably our our sweet spot. Are you tackling any, like augmented reality
2: 3d design like yeah. those
0: sources yeah so we're doing some 3d we're doing some ar but i uh, full transparency that we we are not focusing much on the heavy engineering technical mm-hmm. aspects we do it support we'll do yeah um, high level it and, and but when it comes to engineering or, or like machine learning like the technology that we use what we're, we're we're not at that capacity
2: yeah i know that there's specific organizations focused on that. We interviewed one fairly recently. And so it's always interesting to see where people are kind of drawing the lines inside of the platforms.
0: I was with an organization before, um, and that only focused on engineers in the continent of Africa and it was really powerful, but they focused just on, you know, technical, strong, powerful engineers. Um, and that was it. That was their, that was their niche. So,
2: yeah. Excellent. Anything that you kind of want to share with the audience or share with, um, the industry about what you're seeing?
0: Yeah. I I mean, it, it, it's coming down to this. Like I mentioned this before, um, traditional hiring, it's hard. Companies are having, are struggling to hire, freelancing is becoming the new norm. I I don't care if you are a hundred-year-old company or a five-year-old startup. um, You have to start thinking outside of the box because you cannot just focus on local. If we did that, then every organization would have a hard time hiring. Um, So you've got to think global. You have to think outside of the box and forget about the notions of they have to be in the office sitting next to me. You have to have the trust and understanding that there are people out there that are extremely talented and they don't need to be sitting next to you, um, and they can get the work done. I think that's a big, big part where I'm trying to, when I'm talking to C-suites and, and bigger organizations, of how they think about growing. And then the other part, I would say, is the going away from the non-traditional route taking up office space, like I want to create work-life balance, you know, for my team. So as a vice president of sales at Work Genius, you know, we're all working in-house, but we are going to get to a world where I'm going to be, 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 excuse me, be building remote teams because we're going to have the systems in place, the communication tools in place to allow that. And that just creates such a better culture and work environment. What's the lift to get,
2: I mean, you just mentioned the systems and communication. Yep.
0: What's the lift to get that in place, do you think? You know, it's, believe it or not, it's not that, I mean, you can use very basic communication tools, Slack, email, uh, zoom, uh, Google Hangouts, and just have very clear um, guidelines that every morning at 9 15, we're doing a virtual stand up. So everyone has to log in from wherever you are. So then that way you're communicating there. Then you have Slack channels for specific areas that people need to, you know, check in. Or for example, we do, you do one on ones. You're logging in, you're putting in your notes. Obviously Google Drive using um, real time documentation. So as long as you have those three tools, um, honestly, and you just have set standards, uh, that's really all you need. Uh, it's just about, it's really getting past the, um, it's a trust thing. It's, 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 it comes down to that. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder how you overcome trust without just like starting. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, and the, but then you have HR, um, departments where, they they should be leading the charge in this right they have very strict kpis their business or their, their department revolves around headcount and bringing in employees into the into the work into their uh, company but they're not understanding what the real needs are when a department head says i need three graphic designers i need them now and the hr person says sure let me start posting jobs and interviewing and I'll talk to you in about six weeks, right? Yeah. So there's a misalignment there and HR departments can actually use this as a benefit and be champions of this uh, non-traditional workforce. Um, where do you think we'll end up? <laughs> um, I, I do believe we're going to end up in a place where, look, the the core company, the core functions are going to be in office. I mean, I, I believe that. Like C-suite, high level, very, very... Um, customer facing, if you will, or um, technical, I I think to some aspect at at the high level, they're going to be in-house in the offices. But everything else, I I, I believe that organizations are going to start thinking outside of the box and creating these remote remote environments, whether it's creating WeWork's hubs for their employees in different countries or cities, um, or just setting up the right resources for you to do it in-house. That's the direction we will go. And companies are starting to do that.
2: Excellent. So Saba, um, are you tracking who people work for and what types of jobs they have so that you can kind of channel them back into the same source of jobs?
0: Absolutely. So I alluded to this earlier, we're using AI and machine learning to um, pick up the most accurate uh, jobs for with the right freelancers. And these data points are providing so much information to us, you know how often is this freelancer working? What jobs is he or she working on? You know where their areas of strength and weaknesses are. So we the algorithm picks that up. We collect that data, and and that's why we know which like content is really powerful and graphic design is. On the other end, we we have on our platform essentially like a favorites section where our our clients have a favorites uh, favorite freelancers that they use. So these are the same five ten. 30, 40 freelancers that they're using on an ongoing basis. And that's because of the training that they've already provided. They understand the brand, the, the brand guidelines, they understand the business. So for them, even though they can find someone really quickly because they've worked with these freelancers before, they can just go in and just plug them back in. And so we're tracking that on a regular basis. And, and also, we're also thinking about um, not overworking the freelancers, meaning if a freelancer is working on, let's say, three projects, we're going to kind of nudge them and say, Hey, you're matched for this, it's probably not good for you to take this one, one, because we think the quality might drop, but two, we want to make sure that you're, you're happy. So
2: yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. For you, uh, this is more like just switching to the personal. Yeah. Now that you're working in this field, looking at remote, I'm wondering as a kid, what, where was that? Like, did you have an impulse to get
0: away and if so, what did that look like? I love that you asked that question. It's uh, it's kind of scary that you went there. Um, so all my life, I've been kind of a nomad, right? Like, uh, so I'm of Iranian descent. So um, immigrant. my parents um, immigrated to the U.S. in the late '80s. So my sister and I were kind of like in this weird space where we weren't Americans. Um, you know, we weren't a certain culture. We weren't a certain ethnicity. So we had to find our our find our own niche. And till this day, I. I consider myself American most of the time, and sometimes I consider myself Iranian, but then when I get around Iranians, I'm like, ah, I don't really mesh too well, I understand and respect the culture, and then when I get around Americans, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, this is cool, because um, I've, I've been here my whole childhood, and I've been bouncing around a lot, and I still am, <laughs> I, I find myself moving to different cities, and, you know, I've lived in Southeast Asia, I lived in London, I lived in New York, and I'm and, and from D.C., and that just, I think that just naturally comes to me. Like I'm extremely talented at what I do. I, I believe, and I don't need to be um, forced in a space um, or in a city to say, to prove my worth. I can be anywhere in the world and I guarantee you, I'm going to provide you the same results at the highest levels. And that's where that confidence should come with all employees and employers. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think you really, that was interesting that you went to that. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much. This has been really interesting. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Next up, Rob talks with Project Verte, a full
2: circle e-commerce solution built with simple, connected tools that help brands grow and directly engage consumers. And considering the kind of fundraising that Project Verte has been able to do, it seems like they might just be on the right track.
1: Julian, I'd love to have you just tell me a little bit about what you're doing right now. Sure. So Project Vert is a technology company that thinks about technology in the lens of a brand. What is it that a business needs and how do we identify that every business is unique through technology? So with Project Vert, we built a suite of proprietary technology that empowers brands and gives them pretty much every single tool that they need in order to do what they do best, which is to create, innovate, and grow. So for you, um, what does that suite look like? What did you feel like it was necessary to tackle as you were putting that together? At Project Vert, we're not inventing the wheel. Uh, What we're doing is, through identifying that technology in general was developed in silos, um, we thought about integrating pretty much all of the technologies that brands are using, like fulfillment, the simplest and the easiest to understand of operations, order management systems, inventory management systems, Um, data asset management systems, and on top of that, adding layers into where the industry is going, like the usage of blockchain technology. Last month or maybe two months ago, LVMH recently announced um, for their holding brand, this is the Louis Vuitton holding brand, that they are going to launch their own blockchain technology so that the brands under their housing company can utilize blockchain technology to validate the authenticity of a product. We thought about it as an obvious step because one of the biggest ways to connect with your community is through trust. And what better way to communicate trust through something that's immutable like the blockchain technology. So Project Vert offers those technologies, including the blockchain technology, if your brand wants to use it for free, because we understand that utilizing those platforms help you communicate with your community the way that you want to, but more importantly, the way that the community wants you to. And so for you, are you
2: basically identifying and building everything yourself or are you bringing together partners
1: to do that? So we've built everything ourselves and it was specifically through identifying things like this convention, like eTail and through the lead and other places that we've been. What you realize is that technology companies build technology in silos, meaning they have an idea or they identify a small niche problem in the industry. And they build the technology out without communicating to the outside world. They finalize the product. They find beta users. But then integrating it into a business's already existent workflow is nearly impossible. You hire another third-party company to integrate it. And not only does it take money, but it takes time. Yeah. When you're thinking about the integration
2: piece, if you're building everything out, how do you handle that onboarding of a new client and
1: and so on? That seems like a very complex and difficult task. I think that's actually a key element to where Project Vert sits. In order to do something successful and disruptive, it can't be so disruptive that it's shaking the ground. It needs to be totally frictionless and run parallel to a business. So what we've done is we've built a software similar to MuleSoft, which is an AP integration technology called Vert Zero. That allows brands to integrate their existing workflows into our platform and then continue to add channels and to continue to run their business through one platform. But it's key that we don't halt their business in order for them to evolve. So the idea is basically you build a scaffold and then over time you're putting the pieces together as you can take over certain systems and so on? Exactly. Think about it like this. We live in a multi-channel world right now. If you want to succeed in e-commerce, if you want to succeed as a brand, you can't live in one environment. And some of those environments all live in, in digital. Let's say Shopify and Amazon and maybe eBay and Jet as well. The only way that you can really truly run your business the way that you want to is when the information is spread across those platforms instead of isolated to those platforms. As a small example, which is probably made very clear by people talking about this, brands that are talking about this, If inventory is sold out on your Shopify account, but it's not on your Amazon account, chances are you don't have one item and it's being allocated to the other. It's because the internal team is allocating X amount of inventory across platforms. When you integrate everything in one place, essentially what you're doing is you're creating a pool and the pool allocates inventory across platforms. Something as simple as that seems so obvious, but businesses run their multiple channels like separate businesses within the business. Why? Why? Why is it that technology can't integrate the way that you operate those in one way, in one flow? And it simply takes populating all the data and all the channels into one place. So you really have a full window into who your business is, which is the first step to communicating with your community. You need to know who you are first. So for you, then, how much of what you're doing is training and and shifting thinking and
2: how much of it is coming into an existing channel uh, partner? And then kind of expanding out inside of a company.
1: Again, being disruptive needs to be through ease of use. And for us, the training process, we we have team, we have what we call brand specialists on board that help integrate it. But the way that our seller portal works, which is the populator of all the channels, communicates in the same language as the third party... you know sales channels that they have so that when the brands identify or start utilizing our platform, they don't need to relearn anything. The, the fields that you would use to describe a product on Amazon are emulated on our portal. The only real thing that they need to learn is, wow, I have so much more time than I had before. What do I do with it all? For you then, um, who's the person that you speak to at the company? Sure. It's, it's an interesting question because I do ask myself that all the time. We offer so many services that sometimes some resonate with others and don't resonate with others. As an example, a really easy way to get involved in the Project Vert ecosystem is to utilize our fulfillment center. We have a 750,000 square foot automated facility in Atlanta. Now, not only are we competitive with pricing, but we're competitive with what we're capable of doing in e-commerce that's built for Black Friday every day. We know the inbound volumes could screw up a a fulfillment center, and we know that outbound can. Who knows when Kim Kardashian is going to hold your product, and the virality of e-commerce is just going to spike that 3PL. So a really easy point of entrance into the Project Vert ecosystem is fulfillment, and usually that doesn't happen around a CEO. Now, if I was talking with a CEO about what Project Vert is, it's more about, hey, this is about simplicity. It's about making your life easier as a CEO to make the most optimal business decisions so that you can explain to your business what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. I think it's important that right now with our capabilities and growth and scale that we make it So that anybody in the business, maybe not even as high as C level, but maybe VP level could start and get engaged with us and understand what we do for the totality of the business. So you're basically establishing a beachhead inside of a already siloed unit and then expanding the ecosystem of what you can do. Exactly. It's not only managing multiple sales channel, but it's also about growing your business. It's about the ease of use of, you know, let's say you're a business that exists offline. Currently, 15%... Of all e-commerce, of all commerce is e-commerce. Thirty percent of that fifteen percent is Amazon, but eighty-five percent of commerce in the United States is offline. <laughs> sometimes it doesn't mean you know integrating Amazon and Etsy together, but sometimes it means integrating a retail environment through technology to be able to add more platforms digitally instead of hiring people that you found on Craigslist that are e-commerce specialists.
2: So for you, how, um, how are you growing your team and your expertise to keep up with the
1: changing marketplace? How do you keep your pulse on technology? So we have a, a pretty large team. We have about 100 people globally. Um, our technology team is the, uh, came out of the 8200 unit based out of Israel. Um, their mentality in terms of technology development is all about running parallel, never stopping through milestones and saying, I need to get this, I need to get this, I need to get that. Building everything in tandem and in parallel is important, but I think the key answer to that question is our end goal as a business of what we're trying to do has always been clear. We're not just putting a Band-Aid on a problem and then potentially putting another Band-Aid on it or updating our platform. Having a clear vision of where we want to go and what we want to do with the technology makes it very easy for us to expand our team because we can simply communicate what our end goal is to them, and then they will find their place in the business. They will find their place in the uh, development of the technology. Yeah. And as far as with the retailers themselves, you obviously have to map
2: the internal workings of companies for you to understand what to build. Um, What's the
1: approach there? So we have essentially... The technology itself works like an all-inclusive hotel, right? You can pay X amount of dollars to only eat the shrimp cocktail, but this, a different person can pay the same exact amount and use the pool, the water slide, listen to the piano guy, and eat the shrimp cocktail. We have this suite of technology to work for whatever brand that are working with us. We recognize that they're unique and that they require specific individual things, and not everybody needs everything. I think that's a key, key point to understand, in that we built it to be flexible for the brands. So what we do with a retail uh, brand is we speak to them and say, hey, what do you need? They'll tell us their problems, and we say, okay, these four platforms that we have are perfect for where you need to be and where you need to grow. hmm how did you learn what to build into each of those platforms? Did you take people
2: with expertise um, and have them build these out? Or were you just
1: looking at what was already existing? How did you think through that piece? It's interesting because I don't come from the industry. I come from the brand side. I come from working with brands like haagen all the way to ADP, to doing Super Bowl commercials, to the smaller direct-to-consumer brands. So The combination of, yes, we do have experts, leading experts. Um, One of our partners is Geotis, one of the largest third-party logistics providers in the world um, that are helping us with our warehouse and our fulfillment and and those kind of things. But I think the only way to be disruptive in this industry is to understand that you need to be on the outside looking in. Because once you're inside, you're too involved with the day-to-day of what's going on. And what you can see, like conferences like this one, like ETail, is through viewing all of the booths, e-commerce has grown so fast that everyone is just trying to create a temporary solution to a permanent problem. They're, hey, maybe your this is not working, so we've created this to help you with this. And then e-commerce evolves, and then they create a new version and a new version. And then they have other providers that help them work with that new version of that other third-party company, and you just kind of lay all these band-aids on top of each other. What we need to do, and I think what's the value of Project Vert, is we're coming from the outside saying, we can build all of this stuff. We have the support, we, all this technology. We have the support from leading experts in the technology division, the securities, the payments, the fulfillment side, the inventory management systems. But it's important to think about things in a way that will actually get brands out of the habitual thinking that these third-party companies, these technology companies, are trying to put on top of these brands. Um, One more note to that is a brand isn't necessarily a fulfillment company, nor are they a technology company. They have a product and they want to sell it and they want to communicate it. So they come to a trade event and they have six different third-party technology companies tell them, you need this technology because your brand is not operating with it. They had no idea that they needed it. So what ends up happening at the end of the day is that six different providers came to them. So instead of saying, I don't need any of these six, they just compare all six of these and look for the best of the six. But the reality is they never needed that technology in the first place. And now it costs more money to maintain and more money to integrate into their platform because they've been convinced that they need something.
2: Mm -hmm. So you're seeing um, most of the brands that you're interacting with or most of the brands you're seeing in the marketplace are reactive to the changing technology landscape versus looking at what their core business is?
1: Yeah, we, we... Relate it back to what their core business is, not necessarily relate it back to how we're going to improve their business in terms of efficiency because everyone promises that. But we can promise it through a relatable way. As an Mm -hmm. example, let's take a brand like Allbirds. They might have a billboard and they say the finest Merino wool runner. For whatever reason, that resonates with a lot of consumers. But then later, maybe two months down the line, maybe a consumer engaged with Allbirds but didn't purchase them they get an email blast from them that says buy one, get one free, or they get an email blast that says something totally different than what the billboard told them. Now, if you think about it, the person that wrote the billboard and the person that wrote that ad or that email blast are two totally different people. But, the result of them being two different people, or the, the that's the effect of having your business scattered and separated. The reality is you should be able to communicate to your consumers exactly the same way through all touch points. And what better way to do that than to consolidate your entire business so that you can focus on small things like communication to keep your community engaged? And that's a conversation that I can have with a CEO where they would understand. What we do on a technical level, sure, might be fulfillment or operations, but really it's about a community level. It's just as much important to talk about in a panel as it is to understand the back end. Mm -hmm. What do you kind of want to share about what you've been seeing and what you want to tackle with the company right now? Simply that most businesses, I mean, brands by definition communicate to to their consumers the way that they want to. Right? That's their job. They talk to you and you understand a brand because that's the way they speak to you. When you look at the under the hood of most brands, you realize how disconnected all of their different channels and platforms are. You can have a business that's pretty much one whole office building that has a schism right down the middle and is running two businesses completely. You have the wholesale and then you have the retail or the e-commerce side. And you have one person on both sides of the building print out an Excel sheet and compare notes. And that's how they run their business. Unifying the business and being able to put it all into one place is really the solution for the problem that I'm seeing the most, is that businesses are not acting like brands. They're acting like separate entities completely, even though their goal is the same thing, is to communicate and maintain and retain their community so that they can support themselves. Um, besides you are, are there other people that are tackling this idea of unification that you're seeing or are you kind of out in front right now in your opinion there are people who unify but don't make it actionable meaning that there are seller portals out there where you can integrate existing workflows into one channel and you can view everything and you can compare data. But the problem with those is that it requires another person in the business to be able to handle. With ours, you can actually change the price on Amazon. You could change the price on Shopify. You can unify all of those channels through one portal and make that actionable. Like I said, we're not inventing the wheel by any means. We're really just identifying what needs to happen in terms of defining simplicity and making it so that why is it that we can put on virtual reality goggles that take us to Morocco but don't have the technology and we do have the technology to make it capable for a brand to simply communicate to their community the way they want to without having to worry about the back end mm-hmm.
2: what are any final thoughts you want to leave with the, the listeners
1: the The shift is happening now um, everything from warehouses in the United States are about 35 years old, which means that they're older than the mass of what e-commerce was or is, I should say. Um, E-commerce really became a mainstream thing in the last 10 years. Sure, it's existed for 20 years, but now the average consumer, the average person knows what e-commerce is. And you have, you know, that's just one example of proof that The industry was not prepared for where e-commerce needs to go, and retrofitting and creating temporary solutions to permanent problems is only going to make e-commerce harder. It needs to take a a step back and a deep breath to understand what does the mass of e-commerce needs. Why is it that selling product in a different environment than retail different than retail? It shouldn't be. The only capabilities and the only difference in e-commerce itself is that we have endless amounts of possibilities to actually further your brand identity, but sometimes participation on third-party marketplace actually hinders that, Mm -hmm. right? If you want to participate on Amazon's marketplace, you have to fit their guidelines and you have to communicate the way that Amazon says is best practice, not the way that it would be on your own .com. So a bigger mentality, my takeaway really is Project Vert took the step back, identified the place right now all the way from a foundational level of fulfillment all the way to technology, all the way to community and really gave the suite of services so that brands can go back to what they were when they had the retail environments or when they had their own dot-coms and weren't sort of retrofitting themselves into what might be a good solution for their brand. Mm -hmm. Be the brand that you started to be.
2: We're seeing right now in grocery, Instacart, Um, basically allowing Instacart into your store drops your profit, um, by 2%, I think it is like Barclays did a study that showed that immediately you see a drop in, in, um, gross margin Mm -hmm. and you're losing the loyalty over time. They become, your customer becomes loyal to Instacart, not to your brand. Um, are you thinking of this as, as an attack on sort of that? Uh, sort of issue beyond just the internal communication as well? Are you looking
1: at how to shift away from these um, multi-seller marketplaces? I think that there needs to be a mixture of both. And I can actually give another example similar to the Instacart example. Take a company like Farfetch. Take a $1,000 blue Hugo Boss suit. Somebody Googled blue suits, got to the Farfetch landing page, they see a Hugo Boss one for $1,000 and then they see a brand that they've never heard of for $200 that has the exact same blue suit. It looks identical because it's shot on the same model the exact same way and what ends up happening is you realize that people aren't buying from the brand at that point. They're buying from Farfetch. They get the Farfetch box. The same thing with Instacart. They're buying from Instacart and product is becoming more important but the result of that is because brands are giving up their brand identity because it's easy for farfetched to handle it. It's easier for Instacart to handle it because there are so many operational hurdles that they need to go to in order to maintain their brand identity that it almost makes more sense for them to just kind of fold on their brand identity as a whole and go to the third-party marketplaces. I believe that they are important. We live in a multi-channel world Mm -hmm. as a result of which participate on the multi-channels, but control your business in one place and you'll be able to control how you are communicating on those third parties as well. Okay. Well, thank you so much. This
2: has been really interesting. Thank you very much. So this is Rob Sanchez. Good night, y'all.
1: This has been Fashion Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2019. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard.